I just, oh, kids, you may be dismissed to children's church. Fifth grade and younger, there are classes for them. They head right up these stairs. If you're visiting with us and you have a kid that age range, you want to see where they're going, you're welcome to, or you can just send them with the herd either way. <laughs> we have such good kids in this house. I want to encourage you just one more time. Um, don't miss the opportunity of Easter. Invite somebody. And we don't need to invite somebody because we need a bunch of warm bodies in the house. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, let's get a number count and we can celebrate that. Like that's, how many of you don't? But people need to hear the gospel. <laughs> it's an opportunity where people who normally wouldn't come would come. And it means they're going to get to hear all about Jesus. And they're going to hear worship to Jesus. And that's the opportunity. Not to be like, oh, we had a lot of numbers. Right? Come on, that's just like corruption. <laughs> like the opportunity is, There'll be a clear presentation of the gospel. People will clearly feel the presence of God and, and experience worship, right, to the only one who actually deserves worship, and that's the opportunity. So I just encourage you. I encourage you, don't let it pass you by. There'll be folks here next week who are going to encounter Jesus for the first time. They're going to encounter his presence for the first time, and that's always cool, cool to be a part of. All right, we're going to start in Matthew 21. We're actually not um, landing there. I just, it's Palm Sunday, and we're not talking about Hosanna today, so I thought we'd at least read, we'd at least read the passage that this day is named after before we um, go on to talk about Gethsemane, um, where Jesus was before he died. Um, and as you're turning there to Matthew 21, um, by the way, there's, um, there's Bibles um, under several like every other chair, every third chair, there's a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one. Feel free to take it home. We'd love for you just to have, we want you to have a Bible. So um, feel free to use those and take them if you need to. Um, and as you're doing that, um, if you look around, you might see what looks like the walking dead. Um, that's because our amazing youth leaders had an all-nighter last night. <laughs> Amazing, Lucas and Sabrina, and I think Liz and Anna, and James, James overnighting too? No? Yeah, so several of our youth leaders were overnighting with our kids. Aren't you so glad? I mean, I look at our leaders who lead different things, and I think, how did so many amazing people end up in one room? I think that all the time. I think that all the time. I'm just saying, I look around this room and think, I don't know. Like, there's gold everywhere. There's gold everywhere. <laughs> Matthew 21. We're going to read through the triumphal entry. That's why this day is named Palm Sunday. People took palms. They laid them um, at the feet of Jesus or before his donkey as he rode into the city. Um, this is one week before he died. So one week before they, he died, they were like, yay, we're so glad to see you. Just letting you know, if you live by the praise of men, you will die by the praise of men, right? I mean, the praise of men is a fickle thing. Okay, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right, and they will send them right away. Well, that's nifty. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the full of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is he? Which is the question we're going to ask today. Who is he? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is he? So we're going to move on to Matthew 26. Five days have passed, and the mood in the city has changed. <laughs> mm. Who is he? How many of you know a lot of people will talk about Jesus, and if you've ever read the Bible, you're pretty convinced like you've never read him, actually. Um, you see a lot of it lately. People will be like, love, just, just love. It's just, it's just love. Love, 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 love. And what do they mean by love? They mean like, I make you feel good about you and you make me feel good about me and we just love each other. That is love. Let me tell you, people who love you, they encourage you. People who love you speak the truth to you. I'm going to tell you who doesn't love you. People always make you feel good about yourself. Flattery. How much There are people who will watch you kill yourself, and they'll be like, yeah, everyone's got stuff. And they'll watch you kill yourself and not care because they cannot be inconvenienced by actually loving people. I'm telling you what, Jesus loves us. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And you know what Jesus did the entire time he was here? He exposed the goodness of God by healing the sick, by raising the dead. He encouraged the weak, right? He, he did all those things, and he, he spoke truth. What was his message? Repent, because I brought my kingdom with me, and now you have to choose. That was his message. His message wasn't like, hey, you're doing good. I'm doing good. We're all good. Like, that was not the message of Jesus. Now, you can develop a religion that looks like that, but don't put Jesus' name on it. You know what I'm saying? Just be honest. Like, you've made your own religion. That's all about, I'm awesome and you're awesome. We're all awesome. Like, no, Jesus said stuff's broken and I have come to fix it. I have come to make crooked ways straight. I have come to look at wounds and not just be like, yeah, that's cool. I have come to heal them. And in the process, it might pinch. If a surgeon's going to cut you open and take out cancer, you've got to be willing to have that one slice. You know what I'm saying? To heal. Come on. So you can imagine, they're like, Hosanna! Hosanna! The man who's come to give us everything and tell us we're all good and you're all good and you get a car and you get a car. And what happens during that week? Jesus does his thing. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He restores sons to widows. He's like encouraging people in the Lord and he's also preaching the truth and turning over some tables and fashioning whips. Woo! 
Look, Nirvana Jesus never fashioned a whip, but the one from the Bible did. You know what I'm saying? Get out of my father's house, you dead of thieves. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Jesus was for real. Jesus was for real. Is it possible that fallen man could encounter the righteous, the good, the loving God of the universe, and it just so happens that all my thoughts are his thoughts, like we think we're simpatico, we think exactly alike? No. He's going to have thoughts that confront our thoughts and our ways, and we'll have to make a decision. Either I bow my knee or I make an idol and I put Jesus' name on it. That's the for real deal. Because it is not possible the God of the universe and you and I have the very same thoughts. And his ways are higher. So you'll have to decide which ones to stick with. Yeah? Well, that's where these people are at. They were like, Hosanna. Woo! There's more challenge here than we expected. And so we've come for five days into the week. It's Passover weekend. Passover weekend is where they celebrated God's deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt because they were covered by the blood of the Lamb over the doorposts. So it's Passover week. now the true Lamb of God will shed his blood for the sins of the world. All of those lambs were pointing to this lamb, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, who carries our sin upon himself, who carries the sin of people who will never even accept him on himself, that all could be saved if they would call upon his name. Matthew 26 Verse 36. We've got way too much work to do. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. Pull it together, Rachel. Then Jesus went to them. Jesus went with them to the olive grove named Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. But he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying, This time, um, the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep and have your rest. But look, the time has come. 
The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's be going. My betrayer is here. Okay. Um, so just really quick, I'm going to stop there. Um, maybe in the past five years, I don't think before that I read anything like this, but in the past five years, I've read so many people explaining away this passage. Like, love never fails, so Jesus wasn't really making a choice. He was always, listen, the text is pretty clear. Like, from the beginning, he knew what his job was, right? It says in Revelation that the lamb was slain for the foundation of the world. So when you look in Genesis chapter 1 and God is saying, let us make man in our image, right, what is he saying? We know what happens next and what that's going to cost us. They counted the cost and they said, yes, we are going to make man in our image. Knowing the cost, right? The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So it's not like Jesus didn't know this was coming. But how many of you know there's an enormous difference between the existential question of like, or I did, dying for the sins of the world, and then it's happening today. Right? So he says to his disciples, listen, I'm grieved, my soul's crushed. And part of what's happening is he realizes I can't die here. Like he needs to make it to the cross. And we know from another text, gospel, that angels actually come to minister to him. Physical healing because he was sweating drops of blood, which means his capillaries were bursting, which, like, he didn't have a long time to live. Just the weight of what was about to happen was so heavy on him, right? He's crushed the grief that he's dying. He's dying in the garden. The angels come and minister healing to him because he needs to make it through the next, you know, 24 hours. And without that, he wouldn't have. So part of the prayer is, right? And he's telling, I'm crushed, I'm grieved, and I'm like, I'm in a bad place, guys. Like, I need, right, he needs a ministry of healing to happen to him, and it happens. It's the only time in Scripture that we read that Jesus got healed. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's obviously raised from the dead, but Jesus needed healing. It's the only time we read that that actually happened. But um, anyway, so he gets ministered healing, and then there's a second thing happening. Father, if this cup could pass from me, like right? Like, I'm submitted to your will, but I'm just asking the question. If there's another, come on. And I, I hate when people try to, like, minimize that or be like, no, Jesus, love never fails, so he didn't even, no. He, he was touching every point as we are, yet without sin. He is teaching us how to submit to the Father, he felt it. <laughs> he wasn't just like going through something like, you know, let's just do like a reenactment. Let's just do a... We see Jesus in pain. We see Jesus looking at the will of the Father and facing it and being like, oh, it's killing him. Literally, it's killing him. He's sweating drops of blood. He says, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, three times he prays it. Any way for this cup to pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. I'm submitted to it. But this, this is crushing. I think it's so important not to minimize what's happening there and not to gloss over it or like fairy tale, you know what I'm saying, like romanticize it away. To actually take scripture for what it's saying in context. He says, I'm crushed, I am grieved, and begins to pray. If there's any way for this cup to pass for me. That's really important because there isn't one of us who's following Jesus who isn't going to come to a crossroads where we have to say, 
if I do it your way, it feels impossible. But I'm going to trust you. It feels like there could be some other way, except for what you're telling me. (laughs) And we're going to have to bow our knee and say, but not my will, your will be done. And just trust that he's good. There isn't, if you're going to follow Jesus, there's not one person in this room who's not going to have points where you say, I, gee, like doing it Jesus' way doesn't seem like something I can do. How many of you have already come to some of those? <laughs> Raise your hand high if you're like, I've been there. And I felt crushed, but man, whew, I decided not my will, but your will be done. I will do it your way. And there was, how many of you who raised your hand would say, and there was pain moving through it? How many, raise it high. How, how, how many of you had pain moving through it? How many of you are so glad you did it anyway? <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's like the hard sayings of Jesus we talked about this past Wednesday. And his disciples are leaving him left and right. And he turns to the 12 disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, I mean, it sounds good to leave in a way. (laughs) But he says, but where would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. There are moments that we will all come to and we could be like looking to the right and left and then we're reminded, but where else would I go really apart from his presence? How many of you are just ruined for any way but his way? Where am I going to go but your way? But you have to be willing to confront it and have those conversations with God. Not just have nagging sense of, listen, if you, sometimes we come to those places, we stop abiding. Because what we're facing is too heavy. How many of you have done that? You actually should have pressed in further and you actually would. And then you just have like an oppressive cloud on you. You actually need to press in and abide. And you hit those, you need to have the conversation with God. Not just feel the heaviness of what's going on in your life. You need to run to him and say, this seems crazy. Are you sure? And we need to hear ourselves say, but where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to it. And I'm committed to believe that you will never leave me or forsake me. That we're going to do it together. Come on. And that's where Jesus is at. And so he comes out of Gethsemane strengthened. Mm. Now, I think it's really important, the submission part, and this is why, hey, we'll try to romanticize it and be like, he didn't really choose it. Yes, he was. Read the context. Yes, he was. This is why it's so important. Because Jesus was submitted to the Father the whole time. He's obeying the Father the whole time of his life, obeying the Father. But this was a crucible, literally. A crucible he come to where, I mean, we see the submission. He's making choices, right? He's making this choice to submit. And it's like a, it's like a whole other level. How many of you know you can live in obedience to God and there's times you come to where it's like a whole other level obedience where you're like, I'm... We see a whole other level here. What he's obeying God and doing, actually, the, even the pressure of it is, is, could physically kill a person, right? Sweating drops of blood, angels come minister. And look what happens next. 
out of that kind of deep, deep, deep submission, look what happens next. He speaks and people fall down. There is a power that comes out of submitting our hearts to God. I mean, when you've had to go to the next level, dig deep and be like your way, not my way. Man, when you come out the other side of that, there is a power. Look what happens next, John 18, 2 through 11. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am, he said. Some, some, uh, some translators say, I am he. Some just say, I am. Um, I like the I am. I am, Jesus said. When Jesus said, I am, they fell to the ground. I don't know. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happens to the words that he had spoken will be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, <laughs> there's a reason why he said, Peter, you need to pray tonight. Because, yeah. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then he bends down and he puts the ear back on. What if you're Malchus and you come to arrest this guy and he just like attached your ear? Like all along the way, people had choices. All those soldiers just saw him heal. You know what I'm saying? All along the way, these people had choices, and some just kept making the wrong ones, right? So let's just deal with that. So just the power, I want us to just sit in that, and I hope this week you kind of sit, the power of submission, when Jesus is submitted to the Father in this way, I mean, we know when he goes to Herod, when he goes to Pilate, he's saying very little, and the Bible prophesied he would say very little, it's just like a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth, right? There's very little he says. I think uh, the power of submission he was living in at that point, when you're like submitted to God in that way, and you've gone through that powerful crucible, um, I don't know. If he had opened his mouth anymore, I don't think he would have gotten crucified. I think it would have been impossible for Pilate to do it. The power that was coming out of him, just that he was caring, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I think there's a reason why he could say very little. There's a reason why he wasn't presenting the repent because I brought my kingdom with me, his message. I think if he had, the whole room would have gotten saved. That power and submission, man, it pinches when we're trying to make the decision to bow our knee or not. But once you do, there's like a whole other level of Jesus you live in. Come on. There's a whole other level of, of reality that you see. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, six of us. Me and Kent can tell you all about it after service. So he says, I am. So of course, 
this I or I am he really harkens back to a lot of his teachings, right? He's constantly saying, I'm the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the gate. I am the way. I am. And then there's teachings about Moses. You know, they try to trip him all the The religious leaders try to trip him up all the time talking about Moses. And he, he would say things like, before Moses was, I am. Not even like before Moses was, I was. Before Moses was, I am. Like I was the I am before he was born. I was the I am while he lived. I am the I am after he's gone. I am. No beginning, no end. No because, still is, I am. In this room right now, I am. You think about other prophets, people who found cults and other religions and those kinds of things, right? No other founder of a major religion has said something like this. Nobody. They say things like, this is the way to truth, right? This is the way to live. This is the way to nirvana. This is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. Not, I'll tell you where the way is. I'll tell you the three things you have to do, to, the three keys to get in the way. He says, I am the way. I am. There's not a secret program. I am. So they fall back at his word, just him acknowledging, I am. They fall down. I think about this. Everybody loses their footing in the presence of God. All through scripture, people are constantly losing their footing in the presence of God. Right? When God's glory is manifest, um, people tend to fall all over themselves. People tend to be terrified. You look through scripture, <laughs> he's constantly saying, don't be afraid. Like, I haven't come to bring you fear, but the response to his glory is like so overwhelming and so much more than we are. People tend to fall down and be afraid and all kinds of stuff. Right? You tend to lose your footing in the presence of God. The presence of God is traumatic to our little human minds and bodies. I feel like even for us in this house, like, he's like, I have like, I have given you like drops of my glory. Like we haven't seen anything yet. If we position our hearts to say, God, increase our capacity for you. I mean, we haven't even seen. We're still counting the cost. Do we actually want to carry that? If you begin to carry the glory of God like this, your whole life changes. There are people who won't want to know you anymore. There are others who won't leave you alone. Once Jesus' glory is seen, he is not left alone. Got to count the cost a bit, right? Do we want the things that we pray for? But in the presence of God, I think there's, <laughs> there's trauma. People tend to fall down. People tend to have these reactions to the presence of God. And I think about, like for Jesus, I think in that state of submission, like his glory is showing in a way it hadn't been showing before. In a powerful way it hadn't been showing before. And they can't even stand up under it. Think about this. Think about even, because um, God really, I mean, the real glory in the universe is his. comes from him. But we have like these substitute, substitute, substitutes for glory, right? 
people seek glory and fame. There's like human glory and fame, right? And a lot of people seek it. But it's like a shadow of what actual glory is. And you think about how stupid people act in human glory and fame. Um, the Duchess, um, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, um, Prince William to me, um, they visited America like a year and a half ago or two years ago, whatever it was. And they went to LA and they had arranged for them to meet a bunch of A-list stars. The people that we tend to like follow ourselves over, right? And our culture does, right? We take stupid pictures of people. Like they start a movie and all of a sudden like the paparazzi are like taking pictures of them eating spaghetti. Like, <laughs> and they'll pay $500,000 for it because we'll buy that magazine, right? So these people, we tend to like trip over ourselves like for their glory. So these are the people they invited to this big party with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And they made the mistake of having it on the water. So it was like this big, it was this, you know, kind of flat, whatever room, but it's, you know, floating. Well, when the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge came into the room, all of these huge superstars were so overcome, right, with wanting to touch them and be near them, that they rushed to the one side of the room. And it tilted the, it t like it became an emergency. Like, you gotta move back, right? You gotta, you gotta evenly proportion yourself. They'll, they'll come to you just, but people just kept crushing them. Like not crushing really, but you're crushing on them. You know what I'm saying? Like moving closer and closer. People are spilling their drinks. People are like, they just wanted to like jostle and get sight of them and get near them. Our A-listers, right? Now think about this. Wills, as I call them, Wills and Kate, um, they seem like super nice people. They seem like good parents. They seem like they love each other. You know, hopefully it's all genuine, who knows, right? But it seems good. They seem like nice people, super nice people. There isn't anything they're ever going to do that improves any of our lives in this room. They, them existing doesn't affect my life, like, at all, that I know of. Maybe they're praying for me. That would be something, right? Um, they actually don't have any real power, right? Monarchs in England haven't had power for a couple hundred years. Actually, they, like, wills can't be like, you know, look at a paparazzi and be like, to the brink or to the tower, right? Off with his head. Like, doesn't have the power to do this anymore. Right? That's done. They can't go and be like, this is the legislation we're going to, like, they can't influence legislation. They can't, there's not any actual power. Like, I think fame can be powerful. You can use it to influence things occasionally, but there's no actual power in the world. They don't actually have any power. And yet all this glory surrounds them. You know, they've got cool jewels, cool necklaces and stuff. But this, there's like, people, I just got to touch them. I just got to, I just got to be near them, right? Because we have this deep, deep, deep desire, one, to worship. It's in us. You can't help it. It's in you. You're going to worship something. We have this deep need to worship but we also have a deep, deep, deep thirst for glory. We want to be in, the, we want to see the glory of God. And we can replace with all kinds of stuff. Like I got an autograph from 
Whoopi Goldberg once. I didn't like her so much. I mean, she's okay, you know, but we were standing, anyway. When I was living at, by, you know, in, um, by Manhattan, we'd go and we didn't have money to go to the Broadway shows. We'd stand outside the old theaters because there's just one door. It's out the front. So if you wait long enough, you can get, you know, autographs of stars, you know. I got Whoopi Goldberg one night. I'd never seen anything she did. <laughs> She's famous. So we'll wait here for an hour, and we'll get her autograph. Dumb. We have this need to be near, like, fame and glory, right? But it's all just a reflection of the, act the only one who actually has real glory in the universe is God. Real glory. It's a glory that transforms things. It's a glory that changes things. It's a glory that is more powerful than our human bodies. There's, I'm, some of you haven't experienced this. There's times you can be in a room and the presence of God, he's with us now, right? There's times his presence becomes manifest. You can't stand up. Like you're not able to stand anymore. Your body just can't take it. That's real glory. That's real glory. There's times in the Old Testament where there were like stinkers, people who are super evil. And they would keep doing evil, keep doing evil. And they got emboldened and they did evil like in the mouth of the temple. And God's glory came out of the temple. And it didn't go well for them. Because evil can't stand up in his glory. You know what I mean? Like, glory of God. Everyone loses their footing in the presence of God. Some will lose it in a good way. Some will lose it in a bad way. But everyone loses their footing in the presence of God. So my question to you today, who is he? Who is he? That was the question from Hosanna, right? Who is he? What does that question mean to you? What that question means to you probably has a lot to do with where your securities lie. What are you living for? What is your trust based on? What is your idea of truth based on? What are the things that are most important to you and why? Where do your securities lie? That probably has a lot to do with how you answer that question. I read this from Tim Keller this week. He's just, I like him. I don't agree with him on everything, but I like him. He said this, tell me about this God you don't believe in. Tell me about this God you have rejected. Maybe I don't believe in him either. So many people have made God in their image and proclaim it. Go back to scripture. Who is he really? Because maybe the God you've rejected isn't even God. To stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that there is a God, that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make sense? If you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? In any truly personal relationship, the other person has to be able to contradict you. Yeah? And then he says, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? He's a genie in the bottle when things go wrong. You finally cry out to him. He's useful. Is he beautiful? Is he inconvenient? 
Is he made in your image? Have you looked at who God really is in Scripture and said, my knee is bowed? You are God. I am not. And I'm submitted to your will for me. I believe you're good. I believe you're good. The verdict is in. I've chosen to believe him. I've chosen to submit my life to him. Not that I don't have to do it over and over again. Some days. But for me, the verdict is in. And that means I'm accepted by him. It means I can stand before him and not lose my footing. If you can, if you can stand before God, right? You've made right with him. The verdict is in for you. And you can stand before him. Who can't you stand before? Everyone else is losing their footing. But he's given you a capacity to walk with the God of the universe. If he's for you, who's going to be against you? If you can stand in his presence, whose presence can't you stand in? Do you see what I'm saying? If you can stand before him with his unveiled glory, you can keep your footing. How can anything or anyone cause you to lose your footing? He is a God of unyielding love. No amount of stupidity has kept him from loving me, and no amount of do-overs has kept him from loving, continuing to love me. My life is submitted to him. So I ask you, who is he to you? Who is he to you? We come into this season, this week, as we think on the crucifixion, and then we celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. Who is he to you? And if you're saying, man, I'm yielded to him, my knee is submitted, then the question becomes this week, how do we increase our capacity for you? How do we increase our capacity for you, for your beauty in our lives? If you would stand, worship team, come on up. God is good. His presence is here now. I want to encourage you, if you are far from God, if you are far from him, you know you are far from God. The God of the universe is here now. And here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We could never pay for them. And now the call of salvation has gone out. Whoever would believe on him, confess him as Lord, repent of their sins and turn to him, he would give eternal life. He will make a new creation. I encourage you today, if you've not done that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. For some of you, there's other questions stirred up in you. For some of you, you've, you're, in a, you're facing a crucible, and you're at that challenge point where, man, submission is, it's going to cost you something. You're submitting to his will, but you've counted the cost, and it's heavy. And you just love someone to pray with you and believe with you. For some of you, God has been speaking that word of just increasing your capacity, increasing your ability to believe him and carry his presence. Some of you have come, your sick and body need healing. Some have come in this room with other needs and you need prayer. So prayer to me, if you come on up, there'll be folks here on each side to pray with you. Also folks in back on each side who can pray with you. But if God's stirring something up in you, any of those things or things I didn't even name, would you pray with somebody? It's easy to keep things in our head, right? And then we leave and we, we're unchanged. We forget, we get distracted by the world. But when we touch base with somebody, we say it out loud, we let God do a work. 
It's a powerful thing. You can pray with any of the folks, the prayer team is coming up, or you can pray with any believer near you because every believer in the house carries the kingdom without measure. But let's take some time to respond to God as we worship. Amen? sing with me. We'll just lift up our praise to him. Amen. So good. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for Jesus, Jesus, the name above every other name, oh Jesus, Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever holy we sing holy holy there is no Keep pressing into him. Keep pressing in as we sing. Oh, I will build my life upon your love. It 
ocean and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and I will put my life upon
be shaken burdens gladly bearing 
then sings, then sings my soul, my Savior God to and worship just in one minute. Before we do, I just want to give one more chance. If you, if you know you're far from God, if you just bow your heads. Actually, I like eyes open only because it's exciting. Like, it doesn't, maybe not, maybe may not know that. But salvation's like the best thing that can happen in the house. That's exciting to us. But if you know you're far from God, You know you need to be reconciled to him. 
Would you just raise your hand? If you're in this room, would you just raise your hand if that's you? I just want to give that last chance as we sing this last song. There's folks in back on both sides. There's folks in front. These folks are free up here in front. Man, don't leave. Don't leave until you've invited him in. Don't leave how you came in. Yeah? In a moment, in a moment, everything can change. <laughs> in a moment. So I encourage you in that. We're going to sing this last song. I'm going to give you a chance to respond or anybody else who needs to respond. But I want to give you a chance especially. If you know you're far from God, come and talk to one of these folks here. Come and pray with them. You won't regret it. Amen. stories of what they think you're like but I've heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased with that never alone you're good good father that's who you are that's who you are that's who you are and i'm loved by you that's who i am that's who i am that's who i am see many searching for answers far and wide but i know we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know when we need it before we say a word you're a good good father that's who you are who you are, that's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am.
so undeniable. Love so undeniable. I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable. I can hardly think as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still into love. Love, love, love as you call me. As you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still into love, 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 love you. Deeper still as you call. because we end in prayer doesn't mean we can't carry this heart of worship doesn't mean we can't continue to encourage each other and the gifts are stirred up in the room and we're here, we're gathered there's a chance for us to bless each other, let's do it I, uh, for those of you who know Kevin Shannon, I'm going to visit him on Tuesday there's a card in back on that round table if you want to sign it or if you brought a card or letter, I'll take it with me just encourage him He's one month in, he's got 12 months to go before we see him again. So, you know, with 12 months left, you need some encouragement. So, be heading there. Take this opportunity. Encourage one another. Lead with eyes. Lead with eyes to see those who need to encounter the glory of God and bring them with you. Right? Pull them along. If the goal was just to get us to heaven, you would have died the minute you got saved. <laughs> But he said, go, make disciples. Grab as many as you can on the way. Because <laughs> they're loved. They're loved. They're loved. They're loved by the Father. Loved by the Son. Loved by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. 
Amen. Amen. If you're new, I'm back by the coffee. I'd love to meet you and talk to you. God bless you guys. Love you.